What's going down, people? Yes, it's another bonus echo chamber coming right at you. This, um, yeah, this episode, we're back on the Sci-Fi London tip. And, um, yeah, throughout the festival, you know what I mean? It was just, there was so much there, so much stuff. And um had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people. So today I'm bringing you a couple of interviews. All right. So the first is with um, a couple of great guys, man. A couple of, um, yeah, they were, I, I bumped into them throughout the festival. We always grabbed a conversation. It was, um, yeah, it was great. And they're behind one of the VR 360 experiences. So, um, yeah, this interview was with um, Jason Alquist, uh, who directed it, and also Jim Breaker, who, um, yeah, helped with the filming he's a web designer you know i mean they're just a team and they put together this um yo this crazy experience you know um it was called the book of true feelings and um yeah so the basic gist is as as it was a simple experiment on how performance context cues in virtual reality can shape experienced emotion so it was just this simple idea, like, you know what I mean, when you hear it, it's just this simple idea that was utilised in such an ingenious way that I think really brought people into this whole kind of emotional experience. I mean, I tried it myself. I, I can't really, I have difficulty seeing these sort of things, you know, I can't make out detail and everything like that, but everyone I talked to, they were, um, yeah, you know, they explained it, and just the fact that you could see these different emotions, and so whichever one you looked at, it, um, it made you feel differently about the way you were um, hearing the text, which is um, really interesting. Uh, the next interview is with um, Damien Leahy. Damien was another character at the festival. I think anyone there knew who Damien was because Damien is larger than life and a little crazy. Ain't gonna lie, Damien is a little crazy. Now, Damien had a uh, a short that was playing called Captain Traher Smiles at the Stars. So, um, yeah, we're gonna hear from both of these people. And um, I hope you enjoy it. So, look, as I said, we're gonna go with... Um, we're gonna yeah we're gonna go with the book of true feelings so uh jim and jason first it does end a little abruptly 
just because, oh man, we, we'd been trying to meet up throughout the festival. It was crazy. We managed to grab a moment, but it was it was getting busier and busier. Like my my recording, um, my memory was dying. It was it was insane. So yeah, it ends a little abruptly, but it you know I've I've got their de- their details will be in the episode. So check it out. Um, and follow those guys because they're doing some crazy interesting work so um yeah listen and decide for yourselves right okay so it's another day at sci-fi london and i'm here with the guys behind the um vr experience the book of um book of lies that's the one. It's the book of truth healings, gentlemen. Um, yeah, introduce yourselves. Uh, I'm Jason Alquist. I am the writer, director, and creator of the book of truth healings, and a VR enthusiast. I'm Jim Brasher. I'm a I'm the the producer, sound recordist, fixer of whatever problems happen. Um, I'm a documentary filmmaker, VR experience maker. Um, narrative filmmaker when I finally get time for it <laughs> so um, firstly I guess what inspired the uh, the you know leap into VR William Gibson ever since I was uh, ever since I was a kid you know I encountered Neuromancer and it kind of blew my mind you know, and I was always an artist. I was always an illustrator, a graphic designer. That's kind of like the core of everything that I am as a person, practically. So the idea of taking the things in my head and putting everybody else in my head was immediately appealing to me. And so I kind of like sat and waited. You know, during the early 2000s, there was like I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I got to encounter some VR caves at the University of Michigan and stuff like that. And I could see it coming, but it wasn't quite there. There was yeah. like a big rush, you know, we had, everybody was following Jaron Lanier's work and that type of stuff. Um, and then it just never materialized. But then comes the smartphone and Google Cardboard, and then everything just kind of came together, and I thought, now's my time. Yeah, because I think it was like we had Lawnmower Man and everyone was thinking, oh, this is it. We're we're, going to jump into this new thing. And they started with the 3D films and like it it felt like, oh, we're on the cusp. And then nothing, nothing happened. And then it was like um, Microsoft and PlayStation brought out their VR sets and the Oculus and we're starting to get to that place, which is it's interesting. But, um, oh, and I believe Netflix are making Neuromancer into a TV series. Yeah, they've been saying stuff like that for a while. Yeah. Now would be a good time to do it. Mm, yeah, because I think it was getting optioned for films, but I think the last I heard, Netflix have it. Yeah. So, and I think there's a German director who's attached to do it. I think they've cast it in everything, if I remember. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how that's going to look. 
we'll see. We'll see if it happens. They've been they've been talking about that for quite some time. <laughs> Indeed. But so, what was it like? You know, first trying VR. Like, how did you find it? How long was the learning curve? Um. Well, I came with a lot of grounding knowledge to it, and so a lot of the pieces just sort of came together, but the one kick, there's this great uh, organization in Seattle where I live right now called Sixer VR. Uh, so shout out to them, just look them up on Facebook. They uh, held a hackathon, a 48-hour hackathon, to kind of introduce people to creating cinematic VR. Mm. Um, and so Jim and I went, because we've been working together for a while in this documentary, and we wanted to, we need, actually needed to take a break from it for a while, um, because things were happening, we had to wait for them to play out, and so it's just like, okay, well, what are we going to do, right? So we go there to this, uh, to, this, um, to this hackathon, and I had a general idea of what I wanted to do, but there was one thing that was really um, firm in my mind, if anybody's ever done the 48-hour film festivals before, uh, is to keep it simple and to come up with something that's a single thing that's compelling. And for me, it was all about learning what VR can and can't do. Um, one of the things that I've been really fascinated about with VR is its reputation as an empathy machine. Uh, I'm still not convinced about the parameters of that, uh, but there are some pretty, you know, some pretty noticeable differences between how VR affects you and how cinema affects you. Um, so I wanted to explore that, and so I thought, okay, I'm going to write something that asks a simple question about how you experience emotion in VR. And so that's where the Book of True Feelings came from. I just created a very short monologue, uh, had it ready for the uh, for the hackathon, and because its design was simple enough we were able to execute it in under the 48 hours time ah interesting and um jim what was your kind of first foray into vr like what when did you first see it and your thoughts it was with this i had not thought vr was ready for prime time i thought it was still a very technical it still is a very technical thing um there's a lot of artists who don't see a lot of artistic potential yet. And so I hadn't been paying attention. Um, I knew it was going on. There are groups around Seattle. I live in Seattle as well. So I knew that there was a lot of activity, but I thought, okay, it's a game thing right now, but it's not, it's not a general audience thing. Yeah. And so we're working on the documentary, and she says, hey, let's go do this thing. And I'm like, sure, we'll, lear we'll, we'll learn a lot. It will be great. Um, and it was. Uh, we walked in, and there were a bunch of very good folks at Sixer, which is S-I-X-R um, on Facebook, and they were—they made this very easy for us. There were people there who knew about VR cameras, there were people there who, who knew about um, VR production, about how you take the files that the cameras create, that, that the microphones create, and turn that into something that when you put the headset on, mm. you have this immersive experience. Um, one of the curious things that there are not a lot of sound people doing VR yet. Yeah. And so one of the sponsors of this event was a company called Sennheiser, who makes some of the best microphones yes. on the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the Sennheiser was there, and he has, and so he asked, is there anyone here with any sound experience? Except for me, everyone there was either a camera person, an artist, or a programmer for the VR files. 
I have a little bit of sound experience because I've been on other sets where there's no one with sound experience and someone has to do it, so I've done mm. it. So I say I have some, no one else ha has any. And so the sound head hands me this very expensive microphone, which is now for sale for $1,700. There were no manuals. There was no information about how to use the thing. Fortunately, I brought some sound equipment, but this microphone was sucking the batteries. I mean, normally my batteries on my field recorder will last all day. I had, we had to stop production twice so I could go out and get more batteries. Oh, yeah, this thing, this was a fantastic microphone, but those who are, are using the Sennheiser m microphone is great. Have a power supply that will not quit on, on this thing, but it's good stuff. Um, At the time, that microphone wasn't even released to the general public. It was sort of like a like top secret black box technology that the representative didn't even have all the details on. Yeah, it, it was, was pre-released. Anyway, so we, we then worked with Adriana, uh, women, women um, who is a wonderful person. She's now a friend. She helps us with our camera work. Um, Agnes, I'm gonna mispronounce his name. McLitter. Yeah, a uh, guy from Scandinavia who is fantastic. Uh, he helps with. All, we would go, we'd go to him and say, "You can't do that because of this programming limitation." So we go, "Okay, we'll fix that." And we go back and say, "Well, you need to do it this way because of this, and these files need to be treated like that." And so it was. He's an enormously good guy, an enormously helpful guy. Oh, he's and got a really darn interesting Instagram feed, too, yeah. so I should probably send you a link to that. Mm. And Catherine Hickson was our composer, uh, and she did a fantastic job with very short notice. Hildebrandt. Hildebrandt, thank Catherine you. Hildebrandt. Catherine Hildebrandt. And so all these folks, and then all the folks at Six Year Booty and Diana and other folks. So Because we, we walked in as VR novices. We had ideas, were technologically proficient, yeah. but we hadn't done any of this before. So, but we walk in, Jason's got this fantastic high concept art idea, and we got it done. In fact, we were the first team at this hackathon done. And we're like, well, that was interesting. And everyone else, the other teams were good, and they had problems that also that they had to solve. Yeah. Um, and then, we were happy, this was in fall of 2017, mm -hmm. and, and this, was, this was not a full release project. This mm -hmm. was just an educational project. And, but we were paying more attention to VR. There's a film festival in Seattle called STIF, the Seattle Transmedia and Independent Film, film Festival. And one of the organizers is Tim Powers. That's it. Well, he's not an organizer anymore though. Well, he was then. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm, I was chatting with Tim about how they are, were supporting VR. And in conversation I said that Jason and I had done this thing and we wanted to learn more about how film festivals were supporting VR. So that when we did our real projects, that we would know how how the distribution worked. Yeah. So Tim says, show me what you did. So we show him and Tim says, would you mind if I put this in the festival? And we're like, sure, go for it. Like we're going to say no. <laughs> Jason's script and, and direction was so interesting that we actually took the best in our category award. Which right. I thought was like, okay, this is lightning struck. We're awesome, this is fantastic. The universe is not going to let that happen again. But this guy says, I wonder if other festivals would show this too. Mm. Turns out, Oh, and I was like, sure, go ahead. I, I was not optimistic about this. But Jason was right. We, uh, it, was, it was in the Philip K. Dick Film Festival in March of, yep. of this year. Yep. Whereas now sitting in London, where it was accepted at Sci-Fi London. Thank you, Sci-Fi London. Uh, so in the 48-hour challenge, how, how long did it actually take you to, to do this? a very long 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I think that 
I think that we spent about equal amount of time in, in actual production and uh, post-production. Pre-production was highly accelerated, which is why I wanted to have something that was simple. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that the, probably I would say that the biggest challenge to all of it was figuring out how to direct it. Because the problem with VR is that it's everywhere. There is no behind the camera. Yeah. Where the heck is a director supposed to sit? As it turns out, we had access to a motion capture studio in Seattle called uh, MoCap Now, and they let us use their, um, their, their big audio room. So it was, it, was, uh, it was dark, and it was acoustically neutral, and it was all the things that we really needed. Um, and what we ended up doing is we ended up having our actor sit in his location. Philip Wheeler. Yeah, Philip Wheeler. Uh, we ended up having Philip sit in uh, his location and do his line, do the monologue over and over and over again. I think that by the time we were done, we had like, what, 50 takes or something like that all added up. Because it was like the same monologue four different times for yeah. four different emotional performances. Um, and then we picked the best from it. And then, of course, the other challenges is we had to do, he had to lip sync to the, the one single audio track. So the ADR was a little bit of a challenge, and that ended up right. having to be cleaned up and in, in, in post a little bit, too. Um, and did a fantastic job. He had not done VR either. And he was really great about working with us and trying to figure out how to make this work, how to give a performance that Jason couldn't see. Yeah. But, and so there was a lot of practice, there was a lot of rehearsal, right. and a lot of, well, let's, here's how the camera works, here's how the microphone works, mm. here's where Philip needs to be to make this happen. Right. Um, so, while I was off scavenging every battery within a five-block radius, Jason and Philip would be sitting down trying to figure out how can we make this work. We were furiously running lines is what we were doing. <laughs> so, you know, and it, man, Philip's a professional. I mean, within that 48-hour period, he practiced that monologue. Because it can't be, that's the other thing with VR is this, most VR is like, there's no cuts. Yeah. It's all yeah, a yeah, single yeah. take, you know. I mean, in some VR pro um, projects, cuts would make sense, I guess. But it does have the effect of pulling the user out of the experience. But one thing I wanted to mention that Jim has kind of like hinted at a couple of times is that everyone is new at this. There are no, there are people who are experts in the current, but I mean, VR is like right now where cinema was in about the 20s, roughly speaking, you know? I mean, it's just like, we don't have man with a camera. We don't, I mean, I sort of did an inverse Kuleshov type of thing. Um, we don't know the rules, we don't know the methods, and that's, that, that's scary too, I think, a lot of people. Um, but I, that's the thing that jazzes me the most. It's like all of us, we're explorers, we're astronauts, mm. we're innovators. Well, I, I, I think that the reason we know Philip is because Adriana, our camera person, we're trying to figure out an actor, and Adriana says, and we, we had a few folks that we were considering, but Adriana says, she knows Philip, he's available, can't you give him a call? And we're like, sure. We didn't know him when this started. He's now a good friend. We like him. Yeah. He is, you know, it, he's in, we're developing future projects. He's in both of our future projects. Yeah. Um, and actually, you should talk about what's next. Oh, yeah. So uh, the book, oh, should we make a pause for the noisemakers over here? <laughs> Let me know when you're ready. Yep. All right. Uh, so. This one, The Book of True Feelings, uh, was essentially an exploration of how we think about how we perceive 
others. It's about um, how we, our interpretations of language. So it's kind of a, in exploration and in metacognition. And the next two projects I make are gonna complete a trilogy for three basic questions uh, about metacognition. Yes, I'm a, I'm a hoity-toity philosopher a lot of the times. So uh, this one was about how, um, how we perceive others. The next one is gonna be called The Truth About Other People, and it's going to explore how we think others perceive us. Uh, and then the third one, the final one, which is not, is I don't have a script for that yet. I just have some ideas. And I know there's going to be a lot of interactivity with it, um, as opposed to the first two. It's going to be how, uh, an exploration of how we perceive ourselves. So it's going to be something where there will be mirrors involved, and there will be masks, and you can build your own avatar, and that type of thing. But you build it through a series of moral choices. So it'll be mm. less of, less of a, a VR film and a little bit more of a VR game. Um, okay. Although it's still more, will be more experience than game because you're not collecting points and there's not really a way to win it. It's just, it's more, it really is more of an experience. So you can just lose. Yeah, I mean, or you, uh, I don't know, win self-actualization? I don't know. <laughs> if one won self-actualization, then we're not. Um, we were actually going to be working on the next, on Jason's next project right now. Yep. Um, except we got this email saying, hey, do you want to come to London? And so we're like, so we expect to roll into production for this yep. sometime this summer, uh, but we have to figure out calendars and things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we don't know, we, its future will also be into festivals, um, so we will keep you apprised, but we might be back here next year. Oh, yeah, no, that would be great. Like, you know, because we've seen the first part, so it would yeah. be good to see, like, the second and the third when, when both of those come out. Uh, well, at the very least, we're submitting. Yes. That's, once it's done, we're submitting. I don't know if it'll be done by next year. Maybe it'll be the year after. Mm. It depends on... I would think we can get it done, because submission for... Well, festival talk. We, 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 we hope it will be here next year. We'll leave it at that. And we're going to throw all the other project events that happen to make that happen. But Jim, we talk about your project here. Um, yes, I'm also working on a VR project. Um, it's, it explores how we feel powerful, how we don't feel powerful. Um, it started when I was looking at, okay, if we're going to do VR, how do you handle stuff? How do you handle that transition? How do you handle things that in film, we've solved the problem of how to do this? Because uh, if you're an audience member watching a film, there's a cut. We know, oh, that's a cut. Mm. The camera is now somewhere else. Well, in VR, if we've got this VR camera, what do we do? What's the, what is it like when you're immersed in this thing and then suddenly, blink, you're somewhere else? Do we say, you transported? How do we explain that to the person who's experiencing this thing? So I'm trying to, to, to figure out how to do, do those things. And I'm thinking, well, if you're building a script, how do you write for that? And given my brain, I like science fiction, I like horror, so my brain says, oh, we're, we're going to literally mess with this person's perception of stuff. Let's make it a horror thing and inject science fiction into it. Yeah. And so we've got characters who are exploring how they can deal with these vast, important issues of their, of their lives and feel powerful, because often we feel, often in the politics of today, we don't feel powerful. Yeah. Brexit's going on, Trump is going on, all this stuff is going on it's hard to know how we can exert power in these situations. In VR, you have this headset that, that, unlike in film, I can look anywhere I want. 
in, in film, the, the, the camera says where I have to look. In VR, I can look anywhere. But unless the VR experience has hands, I don't have hands. Unless, it can, unless the camera can move, I don't have feet. Mm. So I have, some, I have more power than I do in a film, but I'm still very powerless. And so I'm exploring the relationship of characters in these situations. The characters are all dealing with the person in the VR because they're talking to him. That they're like, so you're sharing the experience of these characters and you're involved in how they're trying to figure out how to be, how to be powerful, how they're not powerful. And I've revised the script three times while we've been in London. And so, oh, okay. and so Jason has his mostly figured out Mine is changing. Yeah, mine's right. Yeah. But but I, I'm going to say I hope it's going to be in Sci-Fi London ne next year too. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. That would be um yeah that would be something having having two projects possibly here. Possibly yeah. Yeah. Right. I, and well, what? His, I produce his. He produces mine. Yeah. So it's it makes for interesting conversation. Mm. Yeah. And the stuff that you've learned doing um book. Like, are you looking to use those same techniques or are you trying to push things to possibly like the next level kind of thing? It's always the next level. So Book of True Feelings is a very serene experience, unless you turn around and angry Phil is there in your face. Um, but it's, it's, it's designed um, in such a way so that people who have difficulty being in VR because of vertigo and stuff like that often remarks, it's like, oh, that one was better, because you know, they don't fall over in their chair, they don't feel like they're getting ready to vomit or whatever. Yeah. This one is an homage to the mindfuck movies of the 1980s, like, uh, like Altered States. And I am pulling out all the stops and putting in a vomit warning at the front of it. <laughs> so my whole goal with this, my whole technical goal, I have an artistic goal, which I, I talked about, but my technical goal is throughout all of this process, learning and, and, and contemplating and that type of stuff, I have a, a long list of ideas of things that no human being has ever done in art that VR can do, that nothing else can do. Those may be BS, they may end up feeling cheap. I'm gonna try them. This is the experiment. I'm going to experiment with uh, effects of stereoscopy in 360 degrees. Uh, there's like, there's some things that people have done already, like VR has the ability, like this, with these 360 cameras, especially the stereoscopic ones, uh, like if you place them down low, everybody around you is a giant. If you place them up high, everybody around you is a midget. And right. that's the way it feels. It's not just the way it looks, like like you know, a, like a high shot and a yeah. low shot and a worm's eye view on, on a on a screen with video, it's the immersion changes your perception of your body when you're uh, when those things happen. And I, I have a I have a short laundry list of things that I'm going to throw in there, and I thought psychedelic cinema is probably the best vehicle for that. Well, also you love psychedelic cinema. I love psychedelic cinema. So uh, the the film that, uh, that, that we had to open up here at Sci-Fi London Perfect was my jam. That thing was amazing, you know? It's just like it was, uh, I also like um, uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, uh, Mandy with Nicolas Cage not too long ago yeah, was yeah. crazy. And uh, oh, what was the, what was the one that 
took place in Hong Kong, and it was really just like one guy floating around, his spirit floating around after he died. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Anyways, stuff like that. I'm really into that. And the story, from a storytelling perspective, sometimes they're a little weak. But I truly, as a visual artist, I appreciate the visual feast of mm. these things. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to release a whole bunch of uh, pent-up psychedelic art <laughs> urges into this. And, uh, and, you know, we'll see if we can rock people's worlds. Interesting. Yes, because book is definitely a serene kind of layback experience depending on which version you're looking at so yeah this will be a complete 180 yeah yeah probably i mean this one is scripted with a storyline uh, book doesn't have uh, any storyline other than what you kind of insert for yourself as to how you interpret mm. the different phil's relationship with you but i mean it's i guess it does because he does talk about events that happen a little bit and for people who I have not seen the experience and wonder why we're talking about different fills and all this stuff. It will make sense once you've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and once, once it's publicly available, we'll send you a link. Great stuff. And um, I, you know, before I go, um, what have you seen so far at Sci-Fi London? What, what, you know, what has been like your favorite films and shorts? Well, I saw Perfect, very jet-lagged on two glasses of wine. I would like to see it again. <laughs> I don't know that it will make any more sense, but I, I, it was a very intriguing film. Um, Black, Flowers, yeah. Black Flowers was really interesting. Um, I've been to one of the locations where they filmed it, and it was very interesting to see how they use that space and, the, and what they, how they use that as a character in the film. Mm. Um, and speaking of the characters in the film, I thought those people did a really good job of uh, being very human in a very complicated, difficult situation. Yes. Um, I have to say that, well, we've liked everything. We haven't seen the shorts yet. That's this afternoon, but uh, Chasing Einstein I thought was fantastic. Yeah. The filmmakers on that one did an amazingly good job. Nice. It's hard to show scientists being scientists and people. Often we get scientists doing art or playing with their kids, which is great because <laughs> scientists do do art and play with their kids and listen to music. But it showed them talking about what they're doing as scientists in the labs doing science without whiteboards, without stuff, just that human experience of trying to figure out the universe. Yeah. And the struggles of theory and experiment and data. So yes, so if anyone out there, when you, when you get the chance to see Jason Einstein, you should see this film. Um, then we saw The Last Sunrise, a Chinese science fiction film that was very good. That was really good. Um, then we saw a German film, The Final Land. The Final Land, yeah, The Final Land. And that one was very, very cool. It was different. It was, in some ways, an understandable science fiction story. In some ways, a very different take mm. on some of those, those situations. Um, but I just want to shout out to those filmmakers because they really suffered to get that film made. <laughs> sure, yeah. that, the, the set that they built and how they filmed it in that, you need to see this film. And, 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 and next time those guys are making a film, give them more money because they've earned it. They've suffered for their arts. They're great. I was just blown away, away by Planet Pancake. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, so. also, um, another two that we liked was um, Deep Clean. Deep Clean, yeah. It's a short that's playing here. Those guys did a fantastic job. And then after it was playing... So well-written. That was... Uh, Shed of the Dead. Sh oh, Shed of the... Yes. Yeah. Shed of the Dead. Uh, I need more coffee if we do this in the future. Yeah, Shed of the Dead. 
you may think you've seen every zombie movie you need to see. That is, in fact, incorrect. You need to see Shed of the Dead as well. I'm not a zombie film lover. Shaun of the Dead, of course, is wonderful. But zombies just don't do it for me. But Shed of the Dead, I, I really got into that one. So far for me, I'd have to say I'd have to say that that, that my list was probably perfect. Black Flowers was surprisingly charming for a post-apocalyptic tale, uh, which is rare. And uh, Shed of the Dead and uh, Last Sunrise was like I have to say the whole "fuck you tomorrow" thing. I was welling up with tears with that. I just it turned me into a freaking baby. It was, uh, that was, it was very moving. We're flowing. We're flowing. Are you flowing? So, yeah, for the uh, you, you podcast listeners, that was, uh, that was our, our festival, the festival organizer there, trying to sabotage. Being himself, <laughs> enhancing the experience. He sure was. And that's one of the things that we really enjoy. We are not experienced festival attendees on this side. Okay, so this has been Jim Brasher at differentpathsproductions.com. And you can follow my work at allquistmedialab.com. And if you want a more personal view, I'm on Instagram at jasonallquist9. Fantastic, gentlemen. Thank you very much for your time. And people, check the details of the episode because all the links and information will be there. All right. See you for another podcast later. Interesting, right? Yeah. you know, VR is going from strength to strength. And from, you know, talking with these guys, they've got some interesting shit coming up. So, um, hey, people, make sure you attend Sci-Fi London 2020. And keep an eye out for them wherever you're at. So, you know, any festival in the US, they could definitely be there. So, yeah, follow the guys on Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, yeah, keep an eye out because, yeah, I think it's an experience for sure. You will not be disappointed. Okay, so now we're going to hear from Damien. And, um, yeah, as I said, look, he, he had a short playing. It's called Captain Treyarch Smiles at the Stars. And it's, it's very simple. But it, it, it's just this simple concept that is really done in a way that invokes a lot of emotion. And that's from the lighting, the dialogue. It's a really well put together show. And I highly recommend um, you finding it and checking it out. Um, yeah, the interview... <laughs> it's a good interview, but what you do not realize is we had to start it so many times, so many times, because I could not pronounce the friggin' title properly. So it's Captain Treha smiles at the stars, right? I kept on saying it's Captain Taser, Cap- like different kind of variations on that. And every time, Damien was just like the cutthroat sign, be like, nope, start again. Then I finally get it right, and I pronounce his name wrong. And I'm just like, David, let's go with the punches, man. You can correct me. But nope, he, he wanted it introduced properly. So yeah, this time, 
got it right. Um, Damien don't doesn't seem to have any details, so there's nothing in the episode as yet. But once I finally track his information down, in other words, I'm gonna send him an email. So yeah, I'll I'll put the information in the episode so you can follow him as well because yeah he's he's got a great a lot of work man that you know what i mean i i'd highly recommend checking out because um yeah it's really interesting it's really different um you know district quarantine soccer mums in peril the heroes of aveline place like Crazy interesting stuff. You know what I mean? He blew up on the scene with Cocaine Angel. He's got a really interesting piece coming up called Simple Like Silver that he talks about in the interview. So definitely keep an eye on um, what Damien is doing. His IMB will be in the in the episode link, so you can look at that. But um, yes, here it is. I, I got all my pronunciations right, so enjoy, people. But also remember, Damien, Damien tried to spoil Game of Thrones for me. Because Damien knew, hadn't watched any episodes. And Damien, <laughs> Damien the asshole, was like, oh yeah, Bran's king. Yeah. Thanks for that, Damien. But luckily, luckily, the really nice, helpful young lady, and I've forgotten her name, and that's really bad. But she was from Sci-Fi Boston. She covered for Damien. Covered. And I didn't believe it. She made it so that I didn't believe it, and I could enjoy season eight of Game of Thrones. So, Damien is a crazy guy. He's a fun guy. He's a good guy. But do not trust him when it comes to TV spoilers. Because he will fuck you up. But yeah, here's the interview, people. Enjoy. People, Sci-Fi London, we're still doing our thing. Um, Today, I had the opportunity to speak with Damien Leahy who's the director, producer, writer of Captain Treya Smiles at the Stars, which is one of the short films that has been um, screening. So, Damien, man. Yeah, this was an interesting thing. Like, let, before we get into anything, how did this, how did the story come about? Um. Uh, first off, Kevin, uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to have me on here on the uh, podcast. Um, and uh, Captain Treyer smiles at the stars. The idea for that, to answer your question, actually, I was working on something else completely um, for Tara Despain, who is the actress in the film. Mm. Um, we did. Uh, we had done a couple other shorts together. Which then I sent you the links uh, to Soccer Moms in Peril and, and District Quarantine, and I was working on a a larger piece for us, and it was actually really frustrating me. And I wrote this monologue, and um, 
I was reading Ursula Le Guin at the time. Okay. Um, or DFC stuff? Or uh, actually, no. I was reading... You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because the Earthsea stuff to me um, is her more conventional science fiction fare. Yeah. I, and I prefer her more abstract... Um, literary stuff like uh, Menarcinian Tales mm, her mm. short stories are, are very they're, they're still science fiction but they're more literary and um, as opposed to more standard you know like like Earthsea yeah. is, is I mean the prose is wonderful but it's more standard kind yes. of stuff like Orsinian Tales is certainly um, more uh, socio-political and um there's an elegance to them. And uh, also Arthur C. Clarke, Rendezvous with Rama. Around, okay. uh, around that same time, I, I had been reading Hammer of God by Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, and um, I, I really like the elegance, but also the minimalism mm, of mm. those. Uh, you know, Arthur C. Clarke and Ursula Le Guin can get very introspective and reflective, you know. And uh, I was also thinking about how to do a swerve kind of on something that we've seen a long time before. Yeah. You know, that's kind of something whenever you're doing a short film or, or if you're doing like a, a small, you know, a small independent thing, you, you don't have like all the money, right? You don't have Brad Pitt. You don't have $70 million. <laughs> you don't have those things at your disposal. So it's best to be inventive with what you have or mm. do, a, do, a, do a different kind of spin on something. So with uh, like... We've seen Gravity, we've seen The Martian, we've seen plenty of episodes of Battlestar Galactica and, and, and Star Trek's variations. You know, you know how they'll have an episode where one of the main characters is in space and they have the episode to figure out how they're going to survive. Yep. So <laughs> my idea was, what if it's already a foregone conclusion? What if it's established that, that that's it? Yeah. There is no chance. Like, we're going to take that out of, out of the equation. There is no chance. And how would you spend your last, you know, time? Mm, mm. You know, and uh, and so that's what the genesis of, of, of the story came from. And, and a monologue that I, had, that I had been working on for another piece, Tara and I were going to be developing, I, I just incorporated that. Okay. Um. Now, when you were kind of, you know, you had the monologue and everything like that, was there ever a fault that, because I like the way we just jump into things, you know? I Like, sometimes there's too much information, you know? Like, a few years back when they decided to do the origin of Wolverine, it was just like, it's one of those things where it's like, we don't need it. We don't need to know that shit. I'm happy with just knowing some mysterious stuff fucked him up, you know? And so in this one, was there ever a point where you're like, maybe I should add some text at the beginning or a voiceover? That's a really good question. I'm glad you asked me that because, and I had uh, forgotten about this, but in the original drafts of Captain Treyer Smiles at the Stars, there was a lot more world building like a lot of like lingo, right, right. You know that I wound up in the next couple of drafts. I trimmed some of that out, 
but a lot of that actually remained and we actually shot some of that okay and we wound up cutting it because it was just too much i mean it was almost like she was just you know like an encyclopedia of mm. this the the whole like world building and vocabulary and all that kind of seemed to take over yeah and uh it was certainly fun um for me to write and it was certainly uh you know i included a lot of that in the bios mm. like mm. uh for example when i worked with tara you know i gave her i sent her uh with the script a three-page bio with all sorts of world building about her character, Captain Treyer. Yeah. And I did the same for Lieutenant Kaiser. She got like a one page. Um, Lacey Marie Meyer does the voice for that. And then, um, and then for the, uh, the boyfriend even, uh, played by Colin Moss, actually, who, is, who started my Heroes of Arvine Place film. He does a little cameo in this. And uh, he was in District Quarantine as well. As the uh, as the security guy, uh, you saw that right? The guy that she she interacts with on the computer, right, 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 right. right, right. That was Colin. So, um, but we decided ultimately to that it worked better with by trimming it back, mm -hmm. by kind of laying laying off the gas a little bit with the exposition. You know, and originally I was going to have some text on the screen, kind of, mm -hmm. kind of in like that I'm too sexy for my shirt kind of slick way <laughs> that things are done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like do 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 do. You know, but you know, establishing where they were. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and um, we decided, you know, that this piece, this was a more minimalist kind of. Um, reflective piece and therefore we wanted to be a little old school but uh also um not we didn't want to kind of load it up with too many gimmicks too many contemporary gimmicks mm. so we so we 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 aired on the other side of that craig moorhead who's my um my editor my co co-producer he's done a lot of stuff with me you know the heroes of arvine place he did the feature he did Soccer Moms in Peril, which you saw, District Quarantine, which you saw, and he also did this and, and, and cut this, you know. We were definitely on the uh, less is more thing. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, um, like our interest was the was to get the heart of the piece across, not, not kind of show off contemporary effects. Yeah, well, I think it leaves you thinking more about it. You know right. what I mean? You'd be like, yo, what the fuck happened to make her stranded like this? And right. You know what I mean? It was just like, so that was the love of her life, and this was the only moment that she thought about, like, I wonder what other opportunities there possibly was to reconnect. And, you know, at the very end, it's just like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because right. it, it's just like, is that this or is it that or is it, you know, so you're, you, all this stuff's running and you're thinking about it. And I think if you just had, oh, plane blows up, oh, she's stranded, oh, and but, but you'd, you wouldn't, it'd be more throwaway. You wouldn't think about it as much, you know? Right, right. But, um, t like, is it, you know, with the process of deciding, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna keep it minimal. How like how many screenings is that usually? 
Well, in, in regards to keeping it minimal, I mean, you also have to look at um, context is key, okay? So I came up with, you know, a minimalist piece that, you know, I thought was in the literary, you know, I was paying, I, I am nowhere near those talents that I was influenced by, but it was in the vein of that. Mm. And also, if, if I was going to do something green screen, which I had never, never shot green screen, you know, it would be hubris. It would be irresponsible of me to do something that was way more advanced than we would be able to pull off. Like, like it, it wouldn't make sense. With, with, with my experience with green screen, okay, and its properties and how production like that works, okay, it would not have been wise for me to go ahead and craft something that even <laughs> an expert, even somebody who's a seasoned green screen, you know, crew would have difficulty with. Yeah. So you had to, we had to make room for, you know, for some, we had to make room. You want to cushion yourself, not only in regards to the final piece, but psychologically for you know any sort of you know bumps in the road trying to pull something off that we hadn't pulled off before you know um it's a whole different area it's a whole different way of shooting um obviously the, the lighting takes a long time uh the camera is built out that you know is built out to the size of a buick you know and and you're kind of beholden to the production you know right and like i've said you know before that that process was like the the production was definitely running me. I felt at times I, I wasn't running the the production. You know what I mean? Because you're you just are part of this mechanical beast. Mm. You know, and uh, Tara, look, is certainly a trooper. I mean, we had her hanging up there on those wires. You know, and uh, Materina shot it, and uh, you know, we just um, so it also we kept it minimal. Also, because that's, I didn't want us to be biting off more than we could chew and then deal with a final, like a product where we just completely came up short and made asses of ourselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't going to have like a laser battle and all of this. <laughs> like, hey, it's my first time doing this. So why not have an alien and have, you know, a laser fight? And, you know, I, did, I just didn't want to do anything mm. that, that would just be setting myself up for like failure. I wanted to keep it minimalist. Wanted, wanted to keep it, you know, basically my special effect is Tara Dismayne. You know what I mean? She sells it, she yeah. puts it over. And so it was kind of, you know, it's, it's almost like a performance piece, mm. you know, in space. But I would say I really like the lighting of her because I think that added to the kind of, I guess, the belief that she was in space, you know? Right. Like, what, what, what was that? How did you decide to light it like that? Did you go through a few different effects? I, I have to give credit where uh, the credit's due. Um, my original idea for the shots was actually more minimal than what we shot. Tarina actually came up with uh, shots to give it additional dy dynamic so mm -hmm. it wouldn't become too stale, yeah. you know, um, and add a little variety to it, you know, and so um, that was actually her call, uh -huh. okay? So I have to give that to her, um, 
because she noticed based on I had it all I had it all mapped out in regards to shots, in regards to the editing. I did all that in prep. Right. Okay. Right. Because, you know, again, green screen. I don't want to walk into something, into a situation <laughs> like that where I'm just, you know, I mean, we've got stunt guys hoisting pulleys and, you know, I don't, don't want to be winging it. Mm. I, I'm not that kind of guy to begin with, but certainly in a situation like uh, this, I'm not just going to go in there willy nilly. But, uh, but no, so. So that was all Tarina, and uh, she did a wonderful job. Uh, I think I think uh, I, this is the first time that I've seen it on on a big screen. Oh, okay. And um, and uh, it, it it was really nice seeing that. Yeah, like, but you know, there's other questions I want to get back to, but just on that point, this is the first place you saw time you saw it in a big screen. So do you just view it on a normal TV or are there kind of viewing places you can rent and go to? Um, I'm glad that you asked this because my editor, like Craig, I believe, watches these things on a big screen, like on a really nice screening mm. room or a, screen, a, a big TV at his place. Yeah. Like that's how he watches all of these. I watch them on my laptop, <laughs> and um, I watch. I mean, I watch them on my Mac. I mean, to clarify, I mean it's it's a it, it's a professional Mac MacBook Pro. It's not you know it, <laughs> it's not I, it's not a it's not a 12-inch Chromebook. But I no, I get it. I get it. So so I I watch them. Um, I watch them like that, mm. and then uh, usually later, um, I'll, I'll see them on my TV. Right, right. You know what I mean? But I usually don't see them on the big screen until I go to a screening. So, for example, District Quarantine, I didn't see that on the big screen until we went to Kukuloris. Soccer Moms in Peril, I didn't see on the big screen until we went to Dances with Films with it. Um, now... For uh, for this short though, th this was different because we saw it, we shot it in in um, widescreen, one eight five to one. Right. You know what I mean. So the other shorts were not. Mm -hmm. So th that definitely made it pop more than. I mean, some things simply go down easier in different, uh, when they're screened in different ways. Yeah. Like, uh, for example, in my opinion, district quarantine goes down so smooth and is so much fun on like a laptop or like an iPhone. It's almost like made for that. Mm -hmm. District quarantine is, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just, it has that. And like soccer moms in peril leans towards that too. It's like a funny Monty Python, Sam Raimi deal. You know yeah, what I mean? And, yeah. and, it, and it works. And I mean, it, it plays really well on, on a big screen. It plays well on, but, but I mean, it plays probably the best way to see Soccer Moms in Peril in District Quarantine is on your laptop or on your phone. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's how they are. Yeah, yeah. And I can't, even if I had wanted them to play better on a big screen, I just have to be honest. They play better in the context of just... Mm. But Captain Treyer um, is the only one that, seeing it on, on the big screen, it plays better. Mm. It plays better on, on a big screen than, um, you know, on a... Uh, on a laptop or, yeah. or 
or a uh, smartphone. And but, however, you know these are still you know with short films. Look, you can always playing around and stepping back and looking at stuff like that, analyzing stuff like that. I mean, that those that's what short films are for. Trying yeah, new, yeah. trying new things. You know, that's what that's what's great about short films, just in general. Mm. So when you see it though for the first time on a big screen like what is that like for you do, like do you ever notice something that you hadn't on the smaller on the smaller screen um not not really i mean i'm aware of things that happened i'm i'm aware of things that happened behind the scenes um that you know in my opinion hold hold a pro, hold a, a a product back yeah you know what i mean and and look there's no there's no situation where i'm gonna act like this stuff is like solid gold mm-hmm. you know what i mean that's just not that that's just not who i am so like for so for example when i when i when i look at it i'm like well i certainly got what we needed from that you know what i mean we yeah. certainly got what we needed and look, I, I do a short list when I'm done with these things for like festivals I'd like to have the premiere at, you know, uh, you guys are on that list. So obviously, you know, no, no complaints. Um, when I look at the finished product, we're talking about a business, right? I mean, it's very difficult putting these things together. It takes a, mm-hmm. lot of, a lot of people have to come together, a lot of crew, a lot of, a little luck fate you know what i mean yeah. the right place at the right time whatever you want to call it a lot of things have to come together to make anything and uh look if obviously getting what you want out of a project out of a finished piece is 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 the biggest thing right mm. but if you get what you need that's certainly a victory as well yeah okay yeah, yeah, yeah. now now with this we got what we needed behind the scenes um we didn't get, I didn't get what I wanted from it. And the things that held us back from getting what I wanted um, were not, were, were things that could have easily been avoided. Right, right. Right? So I have to look at things as I continue to make films. And, and at, the, at, at the end of the day, a lot of people romanticize filmmakers and they romanticize directors, but it's all project management. Mm, So from a project manager perspective, I have to look at that and, uh, and just, you know, I mean, assess and, 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 and see what I need to correct next time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I see that. Um, how long did the shoot take? Like, you know, all said and done. We, we, we shot for only a couple of days again, you know, I mean, a minimalist piece. Um, I was, we, we shot it at the greenery store, uh, the Greenery Studios in Burbank, California. Uh, great setup. Maureen um, Azern, who was the, who was my, my, my producer out there. I've actually known her since high school. I went to Douglas Anderson School of the Arts with her. Uh, Tarina, Craig, and Tara. I went to North Carolina School of the Arts Film School with years ago. But um, they did. We shot two days. Mm-hmm. Um, two full days. However, they had been to the location, to the greenery studio, about three times 
before that. Right. Mapping things out. Okay. And then me and Maureen actually went there the day before. You know, so we shot for two days. We did prep, you know, for like a couple of months. Yeah. And then uh, it was just, you know, we were, I was wanting to get that, to get that done. Mm, mm. But yeah, it was two, two 12 hour days. Okay. Uh, now, that, like the fact that you know, like you know all the people that you're working with, you went to school with them and, and that kind of thing, is that important to you? Like working with people that you know, does it add an extra level of trust? I think it, I mean, look, it adds a, le a level of f familiarity. So it takes out some, okay, here's the best way for me to explain that. Tara has that monologue in the, uh, in, in the film. Yeah. And look, I, I, I know Tara well enough that, you know, at one point I was like, okay, to get her, to get her psyched up for this, I'm gonna pull her aside and I'm gonna say this, that, and the other. And then, you know, I was thinking about it, and I was like, look, Tara's going to, I know Tara, she's going to see through that and be like, <laughs> you know what I mean? She's, she, I know she'll smile and she'll nod, but, she, but she'll be like, you can take your Psych 101 and shove it, Damien, let me do my, let me do my thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so knowing Tara the way that I know her, like the originally when when we were about to go do that, I, my original plan was I was gonna like pull her aside and give her this big serious speech, and I was like, you know what? I was like, I was like, I'm just gonna go ahead and let her roll into it, mm -hmm. and not even draw attention to it. And uh, I mean, not only did it save time, but it gave a more natural performance. Yeah. You know? And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And and look, I mean, she was hoisted on those pulleys and and I mean for her I mean she was hoisted up there and working under extremely uncomfortable situations you mm -hmm. know what I mean yeah. I, I, you know and uh so in 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 retrospect I probably would have shot another day okay if, if I'm being completely honest I think that it would have been more fair to her to have shot another day mm. um not just her but also to me and uh, everyone else it would have been would have been better to shoot another day. I have no problem with uh, admitting that. Um, we should have shot another day. You know, even if it was just like a half day, and then we had all big, you know, a nice big lunch for everybody, and we yeah. high fived, and you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there were some, you know, some some folks were more engaged than than others. And uh, that being said, we definitely could have shot, you know, another day. But uh, that's a good example of that. I mean, obviously, Tarina, that was our fifth uh, film. She's, mm. she's a cinematographer. That was our fifth film. Uh, we did uh, The Heroes of Arvine Place, the feature we did, and then we did those shorts. Oh, so, so I'm sorry, it was the fourth one. And then Maureen had also produced uh, District Quarantine. Right. You know. Okay. No, that's cool. So, um, what's next? Do you have anything in the pipeline? Well, after that experience, I'm glad. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> after that experience, and, and that was a very Hollywood experience. You know what I mean? That was definitely a very mechanical. Mm. It was a very mechanical and l lumbersome way to make a film. 
you know, and I have nothing but respect for those that make films primarily like that. You know, I have nothing but but respect for those folks because it takes a lot of it takes a lot of patience. Yeah. You know, and it takes a lot of manpower. And um, after that, I actually shot. I actually went and shot a movie last year. Oh, okay. So we shot this thing. We shot Captain Trayer Smiles at, at at the stars on a on a high end red camera that was built out of the size of a Buick. You know, all all of this stuff. So on the next film, I was like, I've got to free it up. I mm. got to get outside, and uh, I really want to shoot something myself. And uh, I had always wanted to. Uh, when I was very young, I had seen it. Are you familiar with Dario Argento? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had seen Dario Argento's opera, and uh, I actually watched *The Passenger* by Michelangelo Antonioni that same weekend. But Christina Marcellic uh, is in opera, and uh, she's a fascinating presence in that film. And I also thought she would have been perfect in *The Passenger*. But um, even though she, Maria Schneider is, is great as well, but. Um, I wrote my first screenplay ever was for Christina Marcellic. Uh, it was called a, uh, a Young Fiora in Prague, you know, about a <laughs> about a woman that get, you know. It's the kind of stuff you write in high school. Okay, it was like it was very pompous. It was like <laughs> it was like it was like Juliet of the Spirits meets Bird with the Crystal Plumage. You know, just like uh, you know, a girl goes to Prague and runs into all these Fellini-like characters, and there's a murder, and you know what I mean. It yeah. was it, it 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 was that kind of deal. So anyway, uh, throughout the years, uh, Christina Marcellic had, had, had become increasingly legendary for, for not, no one was able to get a hold of her. She didn't, mm. do, she didn't do a lot of, she didn't do interviews about opera and, you know. And so uh, long story short, um, I wanted to do something myself that I could do reasonably low. And I was low budget and I was speaking to my the producers and I had had a couple of properties with them. Yeah. Okay. That they were going to shop around. Okay. okay. Now, if you're familiar with that term, shop around, right? You know that can mean never getting made. Yeah. Okay. And one of my things is I'm all about consistently having product. Yeah. You yeah. have to have product. And so I ha so for every couple projects that I have in development, you know, with producers who know people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I always try to have one that I can just do myself. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, okay. And so I pitched this story about an older woman who has, you know, who has, who finds out she has brain cancer. And uh, she, does, she decides to go on one last vacation. And while vacationing, she sees a murder. And she's not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so, and she doesn't know if she saw it or if it's in her head. And, right, right. And the, uh, I pitched it to some people. And they said, oh, we can do that with so-and-so and so-and-so. Who knows so-and-so? And I was like, well, look, no. I'm, we, we, we already have two scripts doing that that are doing nothing. Yeah. I said, you know what? I'm actually going to try to try to hunt down Christina Marcellic and see if she's still working. Get her to be in the film. You know, it's the 30th an an anniversary of opera, and you know. 
And uh, long story short, it took months. It took months, and then finally, uh, through her sister, I, I managed to contact Blanca Marcellic, and then uh, she put me in touch with, with, with Christina, uh, who was absolutely wonderful, uh, very, very witty, very clever woman. Mm. She is very funny and uh, very intelligent. And uh, I pitched her the story, and uh, she was actually, she still does theater. Oh, okay. In uh, Spain, and and and, and uh, just hadn't done film yeah. in, in a long time, and she and, but she mentioned that she was looking to stretch her legs, you know, just do something for fun, and I was like, well, let's just do this as a uh, working vacation, mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna, you know, and uh, she actually was uh, sent me some links to. Uh, you know Carl Dreyer's work and uh, Bellatar. She was she was a big fan of his, and then um, I was already influenced by you know uh, Antonioni, the Passenger. We were going to go for that kind of tone, you know, but with a little bit of a more self self deprecation. Yeah. A little you know a, make it a little more sly with a nudge nudge wink wink, not you know super heavy handed you know art film stuff because yeah. nobody wants to watch that. <laughs> And, um, and, and, and yeah, I'm just being honest. You know what yeah. I mean? I didn't, I didn't want to do anything that was super heavy handed. Mm. And, and it, that's just not me, you know, and, and both Christina and I, re- we really appreciate that kind of cinema, but we're both self-aware and both, you know, have a sense of humor. And we, we wanted to do something like that, but not in all seriousness. Yeah. So it's got to have a little mirth to it. It's got to be able to have, have a little fun. You know mm. what I mean? And also keep it short. So I actually shot that on an iPhone, on an iPhone X. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, and uh, Christina, Christina was such a saint. She actually offered to fly in her own personal chef and assistant to oh help her. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Carmen, who wound up being amazing. And um, but I didn't let Christina do that for anyone listening. I, I paid for that, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I would never, I would never, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, so, so they came, so, so, so check this out, Kevin. So they came into town and we shot this movie in St. Augustine, Florida, in and mm-hmm. around St. Augustine, Florida. And we pretended we were tourists. Uh... We, 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 we pretended we were tourists the entire time. And Christina Marcella thought that was you know, just very, very fun, you know, and uh, the, the film is going to be mostly silent with voiceover, right. you know, okay. you know, so, so she didn't have a lot of pressure in regards yeah. to acting and learning lines, you know, because she just wanted to kind of, like I said, stretch her legs, get mm. back into it with something small and fun that she had some input in, you know what I mean? And it was one of the best times of my life. Nice. Uh, she was, fan- I mean, every day I g- g- going, uh, driving her and Carmen, who was also phenomenal, just very funny. I mean, we laughed. I mean, great times, great food, and uh, I mean, great footage. That, that's what it's all about for me. And, and that, that was an awesome experience. So we are actually now, I am actually uh, working on a, a little teaser for it mm-hmm. um, with, with some guys out of, Los Angeles, uh, that I know from film school. And Craig, my partner in crime, he's actually working on cutting that film right now. Aha. So how, how long do you envision like that phase of things and before you, know, you can start 
taking it to festivals? Well, what we're going to do with um, Simple Like Silver is the name of that film. Simple Like Silver, we're going to go ahead and get that done as soon as we can mm -hmm. and go ahead and get it out there. Um, a lot of it has to do with financial band bandwidth. I am not, everything that I've done is, I've gotten some investor help. Yeah. But I, you know, I finance a lot of this stuff myself. Okay, and I do that through working normal jobs. Mm -hmm. um, I don't come from, I just feel that I have to say this because so many people that are in the business come from extreme wealth yeah, and, yeah. and don't have to work. And that's not my case. So when I'm looking at these things, looking at these projects, I have to look at the bandwidth because, you know, travel costs money, yes. and, you know, and the promotion costs money. So I can't bundle it all up together to too quickly mm. to each other because I have to I have to be concerned with real life expenses but we we will probably be touring to promote Captain Treyer smiles at the stars and since since that was the third in in a that was the third in a row mm -hmm. of genre shorts I did with Tara Tarina Craig so I'm kind of you know as like a as like a wrap up of that whole experience of that phase, right? Of what I've been doing, ending. I'm kind of you know I'm going out and traveling for that, and you yeah. know, and um, so we'll probably be um, symbol like silver. Will either go out sometime late next year, and then probably premiere the year after. Okay. Because we're going to hopefully it won't be that. Hopefully I'd love to just get it done. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And have it go out next year. But you know, if if it overlaps too much with what I'm doing with Captain Trayer, who knows? Mm -hmm. But I'm mm -hmm. trying to get it done as soon as possible. Because I, because as usual, I got a couple of you know, I got a couple of things on the back burner too right. that I'd I'd like to go on and, and start on the next one. Okay, cool. So you make one thing at a time, or are you when you're filming? Are you still tweaking scripts and that kind of stuff? Uh, yes, I am. I, I also do, you know, I've done like some polish work, some screenwriting work out of Hollywood. I've written screenplays for small production companies. I have spec scripts out there. Mm -hmm. um, here's something, you know, the reason that I keep, the reason that I keep this, this pipeline going, that I keep doing independent films, micro budget, the indies, I mean, aside from the fact that it helps me grow as a writer, helps me grow as a filmmaker, you know, it, it also staves off the frustration of being a screenwriter with things not getting sold or yeah. things yeah, not yeah, getting yeah. produced with my name on it. You know, you, you have to keep in mind, if, if I'm brought on board something in Los Angeles or I'm brought on board something, wherever it might be, to do a polish, to do a rewrite, you know. Look, the little change I get is definitely needed. Mm. You know what I mean? I, do, I, I need the money. I want the money. But, you know, unless I change over 50% of it, I'm not getting a credit. Yes. You know what I mean? And so screenplays of mine originally that I sold for two smaller, you know, production companies, look, even the small production companies, it's the same as the big ones in Hollywood. 99% of whatever they buy isn't getting made. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know yeah. what I mean? So for my own psychological well-being, right, for the mental, <laughs> for the mental health of Damien, 
so I don't get frustrated about the progress or lack thereof with those screenwriting efforts. Mm. Always make sure that I'm making my own projects. Always make sure I'm, you know, I got stuff on the books that I can do myself and keep my own legacy going, you know, with, you know, for me, by me. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, that sounds like a good idea because, you know, a lot of, yeah, you, you speak to some people and they're just frustrated. They're like, yeah, I've written this, it's with this company and we're waiting, this one, I've just got the rights back to this one because it was shopped around for Absolutely. this many years and, and they're very frustrated and the bitterness comes in. Absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of bitter characters uh, in the business and uh, look, nothing, nothing but respect for those that go out to Hollywood and spend decades there and, you know, only have a couple of credits to, to show for it. I mean, obviously if they do it for that long, that's their per personal preference. But I mean, that's just not something that I could do. I mean, that would drive, that would drive me crazy. For, for the couple of years where I was going that route, I mean, I've, I mean, it, it was very miserable. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and as you said, it was very frustrating. I, I was getting very bitter. And uh, I just had to, I just had to turn, turn that around, you know, and find, I, I just had to find a new strategy. You know what I mean? One where I was still keep, I was still, I'll still write a spec script. Mm. I'll still get, write a spec script and send it out there. But I mean, there's, a, I have a lot more power because at, at the end of the day, if I'm going to go make something else anyway, it doesn't weigh on me so much when, yeah. you know, I'm getting the brush offs, when I'm mm -hmm. getting the rejections, when I'm being lied to my face, when I'm being betrayed, you know, I mean, it's not, it's, it's a business where, look, the people, it, people, it's already a difficult business. It's made more difficult by the pe by many of the people involved in it who feel that being uh, a complete miserable prick all the time is part of it. <laughs> it doesn't have to be part of it. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the a lot of the the frustration with the Hollywood or filmmaking process is well founded in unnecessary behaviors and habits of people. You know what I mean? And and so you know it. When a, a lot of unjustified, bad, bad, you know, behavior and treatment of people leads to a lot, getting very upset and be having, you know, being very negative. But you have to find a strategy so that that side of it doesn't bring you down. Yes. Because the because let me explain something to you. The bastards will bring you down. Oh yeah. The bastards want to bring you down. Okay. I mean, there's no. If, if, if at the end of the day, you, at the end of any meeting, you can say, well, I have my own film to do anyway. Trust me. You've got, even if that person has 10 million in the bank, you walked out of that meeting in a better spot. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because, because, you know, if you're able to keep pushing that boulder up the hill, your, hill yourself, you know, and I mean, obviously, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm kind of giving advice and I don't want people to think that, you know, you should kill yourself or put yourself in, in sort of insane financial hardships in order to do it. However, no risk, no reward, mm. you know what I mean? Certainly factors in, you know, but, um, 
that's just what I found works for me. No, that's good, man. That's good. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed this show. Really, yeah, it was it was really interesting. Just after it finished, I was just you know mulling over like, oh, what what was this? Blah blah blah. So um, you know, I think this will be successful. And looking forward to see what what comes next from you. Right? And 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 again, you know, it was a it's, it's a very uh, you know it's a very small thing we did, but you always want to get it as much out of them as you can. You know what I mean in regards to honing you know your craft, sharpening your axes, as they say. And uh, look, Sci-Fi London. I, I, I just have to say this is I, I've been very lucky throughout the years, very blessed to have my work screen at a, at. A, at, at many festivals around the world, you know. And uh, this film festival has, in regards to shorts, I mean, you guys have some of the strongest, most highly the produced, polished um, short films, um, overall short film blocks that I have seen. So I, I was humbled and honored to screen along these films because it was mind-blowing in many cases sitting there in the theater but it was beyond impressive great people you know great staff i know the echo chamber podcast isn't necessarily isn't officially affiliated with sci-fi london but um i'm gonna give them a a, um, a shout out as well and uh, i do uh, appreciate you having me on the podcast uh, no worries at all man oh what, what have you enjoyed here? What films and stuff have you had the chance to see? If we're gonna, if we're gonna do my own roundup of, the, of, 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 sci, of Sci-Fi London, I went and saw um, Hackstock 5 is the first thing that I did. Remember oh, when we went to the, to the headquarters, the virtual reality yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I gotta give that a shout out because it was that stuff, that beta, they were showing us beta versions of that virtual reality stuff. I mean, that was crazy. <laughs> like, I've never experienced anything like that. Like, mm. that was wild. Putting on those visors and having the whole world opening up for you as you walked around and being <laughs> in I mean, that was, that was intense. Um, but I went and saw the uh, Tangle oh, yeah. Friday at the Prince Charles Theater. Um, and then uh, the following day, I saw Shorts Blocks 2, 3, and 4. I saw Chasing Einstein uh, the following day, and then yesterday I saw the Shorts One Block, and I went and saw Zoo Head. Mm-hmm. Um, I, look, look, I couldn't. The Shorts films were. I've already covered those, and they were just phenomenal. Um, Zoo Head was great, um, and I, I really appreciated seeing Zoo Head because uh, I had made uh, my 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 first film that really broke out was was Cocaine Angel, which was a, a down and dirty kind of mumblecore drug film. Kind of like uh, kind of like the cinematic equivalent of a Tom Waits song. <laughs> and um, and uh, and um, that film, Zoo Head, was like a, a sci-fi version of that kind of subject matter with the same texture mm. uh, as like a uh, Liquid Sky influence I saw on that as well as Christiana F, you know, Scanner Darkly, mm-hmm. um, you know, Naked Lunch, the things that kind of played into uh, um, Men- Men Cocaine Angel. And uh, as, as somebody that, you know, had some uh, 
that had some quite intense wild years, <laughs> right? Hey, I'm, I am not ashamed to uh, say it. And, and listen, and listen, I'm almost 10, 10 years clean and sober, but I did have some wild times when I was younger. <laughs> If you're going to do something, do it big, right? <laughs> and um, so a lot in, in, in Zoo Head hit close to home. Right. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, yeah, I've had those. I used to have those, those kind of fucked up conversations. You know what I mean? Hey, got to call a spade a spade. <laughs> so, uh, so, so watching Zoo Head was great because not only was it a, a fine addition to that sub, uh, subgenre, I thought it was an excellent addition to the uh Sub, 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 sub genre. Sorry, stuttering there. Sub genre, and I really enjoyed that. I really cool. enjoyed that film. And then um, I, I, I expect anybody. Um, I don't know. Are these going to be available on your on, on the Sci-Fi London website or? I'm not sure. Yeah, but, I, I um, think but, some of the shoots. They, I think some of the shoots become available, but. I don't think everything does. But no, ultimately, I mean, I was just so impressed by the uh, shorts films. Nice. Okay, man. Well, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. This has been, you know, we bumped into each other during this festival, and it's always fun to chat. So it's been good to have a, a, a nice chunk of time to sit down for a conversation. So thank you very much, man. Okay, so yeah, that's been um, another episode of the podcast, people. I hope you have enjoyed it. Uh, as I said, look, follow these guys. They are killing it in their fields. You know what I mean? These are talented motherfuckers, for real. And the nicest people, man. The nicest people. Just friendly. You know what I mean? They, they, hey, they jumped on the podcast, you know what I mean, like, they didn't know me, they, there was no reason for them to do this shit, but they did, out of the goodness of their hearts, man, so these are great people, so I want you to follow them, I want you to check out their work, because it's great, and it will enrich your lives, okay, so yeah, you do that for me, okay, now share this with your friends, so they can, you know what I mean, find out about this crazy shit, so share with your friends, leave a comment, come on man, leave a comment, five stars would be golden, you feel me, and uh, yeah, stay tuned, because I've still got a little bit more, little bit more content from Sci-Fi London, yeah, so uh, yeah, at least two more podcasts, I think, baby. Alright? Well, cool. Enjoy yourselves, people. And I'll catch you on the flip side.